0: Before we start this episode, I would just like to acknowledge that since recording, John and Margaret Leonard, Helen's parents, have passed away. On behalf of the entire Pep Talk family, we'd like to extend our condolences to Helen and her extended family. We'd like to dedicate this episode to the memory of John and Margaret Leonard. Hello and welcome to Works Broken, Podcast by Nile Carroll in association with Pep Talk, and I'm the producer Gus Ryan. Nile is a qualified psychologist, sports psychologist, and business coach, and he's also the chief of global partnerships at Pep Talk. Over the past decade, Nile has been responsible for developing and driving high-performance programs in corporate and sporting organisations around the world. Some of his clients include world champions, Olympians, and some of the most successful sales teams in business. This week's conversation is between Niall and Helen Curran. Helen has been involved in Irish TV, both on screen and off screen for 24 years. Irish TV viewers will recognise her as the weather presenter on the national broadcaster, RTE. She also dabbles in project management and has had outside business interests. We joined the conversation with Helen explaining how she really wanted to pursue her unconventional career, despite what other people thought.
1: I always wanted to be on TV and to be a TV presenter at the time when I was young and naive in school. Um, I was always big into drama and singing and, you know, being on stage and everything. I loved it. So uh, it kind of was like the right path for me and mm-hmm. um, of course the career guidance counselor was like you can't do that it's not a real job you know you should be a lawyer or whatever I was really good at debating so okay. um I was uh, I was on the uh, Irish debating team because I was really good at Irish at the time in school so um she was like you should be a lawyer you know you'd be really good at you know at debating our cases I was like oh, I really don't want to be a lawyer and I definitely don't want to study for that amount of <laughs> I'm like so um I I I really wanted to pursue entertainment and communications and stuff like that um I'm from a family of seven children and I'm the youngest so uh, uh like all my siblings I had done quite well I there's six years between myself and and my sister next to me so um, for years, I thought my name was an accident because they used to call me an accident. So I was like, <laughs> accident. Um, so uh, I'm, 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 I'm well. the I'm
2: the youngest of uh, of three boys, so I fully understand but the fact that an accident
1: as well. get, Getting um, abused is normal, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they had all done quite well ahead of me. So you know, um, my most three out of the four brothers went to UCD. You know, my sister went to UL and. I, I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to go to do Dulig in Kulak um, where they were doing a really good communications course at the time. My dad, though, was like, oh, no, you know, he was a bit, you know, pushing us to do kind of go to UCD or go to, you know, a, a proper university as opposed to, you know, a, a community college. So, um, I, you know, he had a big influence on my life, my dad. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of, was like oh well I better do what he says really. So I applied to UCD and decided to do an arts degree and during my time doing an arts degree I felt well if I do Irish as part of my arts degree that might help me get into RTE and RTE was near UCD so my head was kind of going oh maybe this might work out. Mm -hmm. So in first year in college I wrote about six letters to RTE um, until one day they finally obviously went, oh, here, (laughs) let's just stop her riding into us. Um, So uh, I got a week of work experience um, with the variety department at the time. Niall Matthews was head of the variety department and the girl who got me in, Sharon Delaney, was fabulous. She really kind of um, nurtured me that week and Mm -hmm. showed me everything like and introduced me to so many people And I had gone at the time, obviously, mobiles were only just kind of coming into the country. You know, there was only just starting to get, you know, become a thing. So I went down to Dunleary Shopping Center and I made myself these little uh, business cards. Um, You know, those machines that you used to be able to Mm -hmm. print out business cards on. So Mm -hmm. I made myself 50 purple business cards with my name and my address on it and my home phone number because I had no mobile like and uh, so anyone <laughs> I met I just gave them one of my cards and I was like you know I really want to work here I, you know I'll do anything I'll make the tea whatever you know so two producers and um, Brian Finn and Ferdy and McCona, ended up um, calling me to come in and basically make the tea so I was a runner for for a good while um Mm. on various shows but one of them was my favorite it was Don't Feed the Gondolas with Daryl O'Brien and Sean Eve and Brandon I I remember it well yeah so I had just so much fun working on that and then um one day we were on set of uh, on the studio floor of Don't Feed the Gondolas and one of the cameramen said oh Helen there's a an opening for a new continuity person you should go for it and I was like, what the hell is continuity person? <laughs> so he was like, you know, the people who come on in front of the programs and say what's coming up. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. Like, and he was like, no, you should It'd be a great stepping stone for you. you know." you So I got my CV together and I went up to the head of the department at the time, delivered my CV and got an interview. So that's kind of where that started. And then, went through like a good few months of training for that because at the time there was a training center in Orty, mm. so you know they could actually simulate the the scenarios and the breakdowns and what to do if this happens and all that so mm. the training was really good back then mm-hmm. um not that it's not now but you know what <laughs> I mean it was just like that, that extra level that that mm. someone a specific trainer was there training you to do this job. Mm. And then the other people kept going with Which their is, own job. Which I think
2: is important for people to kind of understand that you don't just rock up on the day and go, here, here's, here's a script. I'll no, like, you. I mean, away. it
1: might sound like some people just hop off the 46A and come in and introduce something, but no, that's not <laughs> the case. We do go through a lot of training. Um, so at the time I did go through a lot of training and then went um, on air from there, I was freelance at the time, so I was still in college doing my mm. degree um, and I used to come in and out. So I used to go to college during the day and then I would do like four to midnight shifts in continuity or I'd come in like every weekend, you know. And then when I left college, I got in. I loved I loved the whole side of marketing and stuff like that as well. So um, I was really interested in that and I was quite good at sales. I went to a few different marketing companies like, um, you know, doing promotional promotional activity and things like that so I was doing all that after college and still working freelance in RT as a continuity announcer so it was um like I worked really hard you know like I was I was kind of working all the time because I'd be in marketing from seven in the morning to you know seven in the evening then I'd be in RT at the weekends and stuff like that but it was just to try and, you know, figure out really what I wanted to do. But eventually in 2002, my boss and Ortiz said, look, this is the last time I'm going to offer you this because they're not going to come up again. It's a permanent contract because she had offered it to me a few times. And I'd said, no, I like doing the freelance thing. hmm. I talked it over with my family and stuff. And I was like, oh, God. And my dad, of course, was like, oh, you have to take a permanent and pensionable job, you know.
2: <laughs> so well, I had that conversation. So I
1: did that. So yeah. I, so since 2002, I was, yeah, so I was um, full time since 2002. But in in that time, one of the girls was leaving weather and my boss had said to me, look, would you like to train up on the weather? Um, And we had come off the envision continuity at that stage then as well. So I was like, "Yeah." So um, I trained up on the weather, and then um, I left all marketing and everything like that, and just went back into RG full time. Then, so I've been, <laughs> been there since two thousand and two full time. <laughs> Can't believe it's nineteen years. Like I'm I'm there twenty four years. Scary how time passes, isn't it?
2: Bar- barring the obvious, what was the fundamental difference in training up on the weather, we'll say, from being a continuity presenter?
1: um so training up on the weather was was uh, well there was a big difference because with continuity you're writing your own script so you have to be really creative and mm-hmm. you know you have to try and get uh, promotional information and information about a show without giving the show away mm-hmm. within a 10 second link so like you know there's there's a different skill set involved with something like that you know um and yeah it's it's challenging and then you know um it was it's really fun I still do that you know I I still do continuity about once a week maybe um and it's good it's really good to to kind of keep your creativity going Mm -hmm. Um, and then with weather you're given the information from MetAaron but you have to try and manipulate it in a way that you're keeping the facts you know because obviously you can't deviate from the facts of the weather Mm -hmm. but you have to give it in a way that audience are going to be able to understand it so you you know you can't be using meteorological terms that the audience won't get and so i always kind of um try and think of it that i'm like that i'm talking to my 13 year old so you don't want to be condescending but you want to be informative in a way that he'll understand it Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of how i that's how i kind of learn stuff and then because um i did irish debating for so long um I've, I've really good memory. So, um, <laughs> so we have to, people don't know that we don't have autocue in the weather studio. So yeah. um, it's really interesting because when people come in for visits, they're like, but where's your script in our heads? <laughs> they're like, what? Cause they're two minute bulletins and sometimes three minute bulletins, you know? So mm. that's the whole other skill set. then is to like, learn a script I didn't know off that. my heart. Yeah, so it's learning it off by heart. And then sometimes, like when you go in first thing in the morning, you might not get your script. First weather bullet. might be around half 10. You might get your script around 9.50. Uh, so you have 40 minutes to learn, rehearse mm. it, manipulate the information into like understandable mm. uh, words for, for the public. Um, so it's, you know, that's that's a totally different training skill set that was involved so it's yeah it's good terrifying
2: I would say but good yeah
1: (laughs) yeah I mean I I, like I loved it from the start I it was really exciting for me to train up on the weather and I think that's why I'm still doing it because I I Mm. do still really love it and now I'm training new people in so it's um Mm. you know gives it that extra bit of excitement then as well because you get to kind of impart your knowledge, but without kind of making them sound like you. You want mm. them to stay themselves, like they're picked for a reason to present the weather. So uh, you want them to keep that essence of of their mm. own presenting style. Yeah, it's good. I, I like. I love it. I love my job. I'm so lucky to love it.
2: You are lucky, but there's also, it, there's a really interesting, well, I find interesting aspect of your story, and it's something I can relate to because... I was the same. I mean, I was doing a job that just, it wasn't me. I was, I mean, it was a great job and I had some great friends. I still have some great friends doing it, but it just wasn't me. And I went back and I did my degree and I did my master's. And, and then I took a gamble on sending an email to one of the most successful sports psychologists in the world. Basically outlining, I was looking at the whole area of athlete transition at the time. And I had my thoughts on an angle, and this is before athlete transition became quite a popular conversation piece. And I kind of threw it down in this email and kind of, I, I, I read his book doing my master's and he um, he was the head of a department in the in university in Canada. And I just took a gamble on sending an email to the department for his attention, never thinking that it would ever get a response. And about four weeks later, I got an email back. And next thing, we had a phone conversation. Then he kind of felt like I was coming at it from a different angle. Suddenly, we were in this kind of conversation relationship. Eventually, I was invited over. I met with him. He was working with all the top Olympians in in the country at the time. And suddenly, opportunity started to arise because I took that gamble in sending that email and when i went to canada i was like on linkedin and i was sending people messages and i was constantly networking and and that's the thing i think irish people don't miss with linkedin is that linkedin is a very powerful networking tool it's not just i think people here think it's a recruitment tool but it actually is a brilliant way of connecting people and most of the people that i interview on this site yourself included are people i've connected with on linkedin if they aren't people i've worked with personally What you talk about there, and I think it's a really powerful message for anyone in the work they do, is that kind of idea that there's something you desperately want to do. You have a drive and an ambition to do something, and then you go and you make it happen. So, you know, there's this myth that you always hear propagated about kind of, you know, if you work hard enough, you'll be successful. And that's a lie because you need luck and you need, you know, certain things to fall into place. But the reality is, if you don't work hard at all, you'll never be successful. <laughs> you know, like yeah. hard work is essential, but it doesn't guarantee success. There's got to be ex- extra layers. And you gone off and printing your own business cards and handing them out and sending like <laughs> emails every week, pestering people. Um, there's an interview I've done for season two of this series with an author called Christian Bush, who's based in New York. Um, and Christian is a best-selling author of a book called The Serendipity Mindset. And he talks about serendipity in a way that is just so cool. And really what he's saying is that every opportunity we have in life gives us an opportunity to open a door, to change our reality. You know, whether it's a relationship, whether it's work, whatever. That you, know, you, you push something out to the universe and you get something back. And he kind of used it in an example of if you bumped into somebody in a coffee shop you know, and just say you bump into somebody and they spill their coffee. Well, you have options on what you can do. You can ignore it and just storm out the door and be ignorant. You can buy them another coffee. You can apologize. You can get into a conversation, but you never know who that person is. So that conversation could lead to one of the most significant changes in your life. You just never know. Um, And it's it's the way I've always lived my life. Like I I've always been mindful of, you know, I always try to be friendly to people. I try to be kind of kind to people. I'd all, I mean, I love coffee shops. That's the big morning I have in pandemic is that I don't get to go and sit with my laptop in a coffee shop for two hours every day. Um, but I love that kind of just meeting people. And you just never know when you meet someone how that's going to influence your day, your week, your month, your year. Yeah. Um, so the, I, I think that's a really positive message. And, and maybe it's kind of something that we can kind of explore a little bit with. With your career, because you've done a lot of things, you know, not uh, when I say it's not just about RTE. I mean, obviously, 19 years working in RTE is a fairly significant chunk of your life, but you've done a lot of things in your life. And I think we we get defined sometimes by one aspect of what we do. And my philosophy around transition. is is that the the fundamental key to any athlete or anyone transitioning out of a career is that their identity isn't tied to that one thing. And when I was in, I've been working on a book in relation to transition. And every time I spoke with an athlete, and then I built it out into business and into, into the arts and into different areas where I looked at kind of transition as being a significant change in your life rather than just retirement. But If you have a significant change and your whole identity is built around what it is you used to do, there's a serious danger then that that you, the person, gets kind of lost in it all. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was a thing that when I spoke with athletes, it would be my first question to them when I was doing the research for the book was, who are you? And the response would be, I used to be a footballer. I used to be a rugby player. I used to be an athlete. I used to be. I used to be. And you go, no, that's what you used to do. So if I was asking you now who Helen Curran is, how would, how would you answer that question? Which is a little bit unfair to throw a question that big at you. But, but that kind of thing about like who are you? Like, what defines you in your in, in your career, in your personal life? You know, or maybe an easier way is that Isan Aseva spoke about his why being about being a great father. That's why he was a great performer. What is the thing that drives you? That def- and and what and, and and if somebody was to say to you, you know, give me three things that kind of define you as a person, what would you yeah. long question? Well, I think my,
1: my my family definitely is what drives me. Um, you know, being a mum is is first and foremost what what drives me and you know being a wife to Steve, you know, I love being a mum and a wife. Um mm above everything else if if I lost my career in the morning in one way so be it as long as we had the means to survive (laughs) yeah exactly like but no my career is definitely second to my my home and my family and and my original family as well like that you know um something that defines me would be that I'm quite a caring kind person so um like myself and Steve and the kids moved in with my mum and dad a few years ago because my mum was uh, starting to develop dementia. So Mm -hmm. we we moved in to help and um, save money for a deposit on a house and uh, because we had been renting for about Mm -hmm. 10 years. And we did that and now my mum's in a home. So when my mum went into a home a few months later, we got our mortgage and stuff like that. But um, one of the reasons we did that was to help mom and dad, but also um I think it was really good for the kids Mm -hmm. to, you know, get that emotional side of things. Mm. You know, and they're very caring and empathetic now towards older people and they're very Mm -hmm. kind children as well. Like they're they're really, really kind. And and you always see them with older people, you know, and Mm. they'd always offer to help or you know they'd always get out of the way for them and things of that that will be something that defines them as well. Yeah. And um, also being the youngest now, like well, myself and one of my sisters lives nearby and we're the only two who live near my dad now, you know, we'd help him a lot. So I'd see my dad nearly every day and, um, you know, just going down either dropping him some dinner or, you know, um, mm. doing his shopping or something. And then my husband's mum. His dad died two years ago, so we moved his mom up near us. Mm-hmm. So she lives down the road as well. And I kind of drop her dinner, or you know, like-, like last Sunday, I did a roast, even though there's only the four of us here and we can't have anyone to the house. I did a, a roast, but I had seven plates because I mm-hmm. i did a meals on <laughs> wheels. To my dad, his mom, and my sister like so. Lovely. Um, uh, so I think like that's like what drives me is my family, what defines me. Is being kind, I think, and mm-hmm. um, I used to want to be famous. That that's what drove me originally, and mm-hmm. um, and that's why I got into Orte. Was because I thought I wanted to be famous. Now, like that doesn't even interest me. I don't put myself out there at all. Like I, you know, even the fact I'm on LinkedIn is amazing because I I just don't do the publicity thing that often mm-hmm. like I I don't go to the openings of things I don't mm-hmm. you know I just don't put myself out there I don't do the magazine interviews mm-hmm. and stuff like that um so uh that doesn't drive me anymore um mm-hmm. yeah I'm just trying to think now cuz cuz you sprung no, that on me But that yeah that's a
2: but, <laughs> but that's a really great answer uh, and it's actually a major reason why I wanted to talk to you is cuz you know When you have people in the public eye and they're constantly doing interviews and, you know, there's very little scope for anything new in a conversation, but because you aren't, you know, driven in that direction, it means that like the conversation, anything that you share is kind of fresh and it's new and it's different. What greater word to define yourself than being kind, you know, I mean, that is such a lovely way of of, of living your life.
0: I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that all the podcast episodes are available on peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. That's peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. Here you'll find some embedded podcast players, show notes, guest bios, and links to additional resources. So head on over to peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast.
2: One thing that you said there that really resonated with me was when you talked about your mom and her challenge of dementia, because my dad, um, he had, you know, various serious illnesses. And at the end of his life, he, he got, well, what I would describe as a watery diagnosis of dementia. I'm not convinced it wasn't the drugs he was taking that his mind just started to go. But the fact is, his mind started to go. And and it was incredibly difficult because my dad was like he was such an intelligent man and he he's the guy who drove me to read and and you know I kind of he he ends up getting a reference in pretty much every interview I do at the moment because he only passed away before Christmas. But um
1: oh, I'm so sorry.
2: Yeah, and it, and it was devastating and, and heartbreaking and and I adored the man and I'm wearing his cardigan, you know. Um he's he he was he was you know my best mate, he was my hero, like he was an amazing man. But the point is and I am getting to a point um, is that these relationships are kind of what define you. And and he was an incredibly kind man. And I've never met anybody who saw the good in people like he did. Um, but the fact is that you're going through these challenges in your life. Like you're, you're, you're going through the normal challenges of being a mom. And particularly if we think about at the moment with the pandemic and homeschooling and working from home and, and trying to do, the best job you can was balancing all the other distractions, and 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 one of the things I have always worked on with athletes is about distraction control and understanding how do distraction, how do we manage our distractions to make us better at what we do. And I would pool in the fact that like my dad's passing was a massive distraction, and people go that's kind of belittling it, and 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 it isn't because you still have to do your job, you still have to function, you still have to get on with life. And whether the distraction is an email or a phone call or a deadline of something that you're just hanging over you, or whether it's huge, like an addiction or a loss of a loved one, you know, distractions come in different forms. But the reality is, if we want to continue to function in our environments, we've got to be able to manage them. So when you're dealing with your mom and, and her gradual decline with that awful illness, um, you're dealing with your dad and the worries for him right now with, pan- with with this pandemic and the fact that it is particularly challenging. I've got my mom still at home, uh, who's 83 um, and is terrified of this this, this uh, virus. Um, you know, your 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 husband Steve loses his dad two years ago, which I'm sure was devastating for him.
1: Yeah.
2: And you're supporting him through that. You're 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 supporting your kids through losing two grandparents and, on, you know, one on each side, you know, to, I mean, to technically they've lost your mom, even though she's yeah. still with you, you know, all of these things are hugely difficult, emotional challenges. And yet you've got to appear then on screen, smiling, well presented and just get on with it. Um, Yeah. So how do you, and, and I think it's really important for people. I mean, I talk about resilience all the time in the work I do, but part of resilience is that ability to take, you know, not be cold, not, it's not that you don't care about what's going on, but how do you channel yourself into this area where I've got to go on TV and smile and present this with all the pressures and stresses that are going on in the background?
1: Um, Yeah, good question. It's, it's really about just separating them completely. You know, like um, my job is just my job. Um, yeah. and, and while I love my job, um, I, I went through, I went through a period of absolutely not enjoying my job at all due to like one person you know Mm -hmm. um in work just made it miserable for me to go in Mm -hmm. um but they left and since they left my job has become a whole new thing for me again and i love it and so i'm I just, I it is just a job at the end of at mm. the end of the day. So, so that's the way I look at it. Really, I mean, my my priority is is at home. It's being with the kids. It's you know making sure my dad is okay. Making sure my mother knows all right. You know, um, communication. Like I just think communication is one of the biggest most important things in any relationship, whether it's with my husband or with, Mm -hmm. you know, my family or with the kids or whatever. I just think talking is just, just up there. It's just so important. So um, like from the start, my kids know that I have to work some nights, you know, and um, I'm not here to say goodnight to them or I'm gone early in the morning. So I'm not here to bring them to school. but they know that and they know that it's my job. But mm-hmm. if if it's a thing where like, you know, mm-hmm. one of them is sick or something like that, you know, they also know I'll be there for them for that. And I'll and I'll say to my job, I can't come in today because, you know, this takes priority or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and my my boss is fabulous. He's so good with stuff like that. He's a dad and, you know, he understands the pressures of of being at home and stuff like that as well. So, um, so, so I think the main thing is just separating them. So, like when when I'm like I get days where I'm really upset about my mom. You know, she was you know absolutely my best friend. I I talked to her about everything. I always had because I uh, I'm the only one out of the six, seven, six of us who have children. Uh, I'm the only one who whose children live in Dublin. So my mom always kind of saw uh, Conor and Ella when you know growing up and. I'd have her over for a cup of tea and we just have a chat or we might go off shopping or we go to the cinema or whatever. So to me, I've lost my mum, mm-hmm. And that's, and it's really, really hard some days. And you do get horrible days as you know, where you just yeah. don't want to get out of bed. Um, but like you say, you do, you have to get up. And um, I just get up. My husband's great for kind of, you know, go on, you know, you're great, do your job, you know, you're good at it, go in there, you can come home then and, you know, Mm. take off your makeup and just wallow if you want, you know, but Mm. you have a job to do. And, and, and it's true. I, I have a job to do the public don't know what you're going through in your head sometimes. So, um, that's just my thing is just to separate them completely. I just go in, I do my job. Some days it might be a bit robotic, you know, because you kind of think, Oh, I can't do this today, but I have to do it. Um, and you put your face and makeup on and you do your hair and you put your dress on or whatever um, and just do it. Um, and then I suppose, like, even though you might have felt awful that morning and you didn't want to do it, you go in and you do your job and it's nearly like an endorphin. You know, you do feel better and mm. you come home and you're, you know, you're feeling a bit better At the end of the day, and you're not wallowing anymore in that Mm -hmm. headspace that you're in that morning. So, yeah, my main thing is really just separating them completely. Home life is my favorite thing. I love love being here. I love being with with the kids Mm -hmm. and my husband. And then work at the moment during lockdown, work is a nice escape as well because uh, I get to go in. Even though I don't see anyone, we're completely alone in in the office and studio for weather. So, we we man the camera, the lights, the microphone, mm-hmm. the recording equipment. So we do it all ourselves. So you don't actually see anyone. So it's kind of handy during a, an isolation lockdown because <laughs> you don't have to see anyone anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, but then you might see someone around the place, and you get mm-hmm. to talk to them at you know social distance or whatever. So. Um, yeah, it's it, it is good. I think um, just just separating them is is my biggest thing. Is um, yeah, I
2: think. And I think it's it, how I, I it's how I cope. <laughs> I think that I think that's such a such an important message, and it and it is particularly difficult for people to separate because work and home life are happening in the same room. You know? Well, that's
1: so, what I like. I feel really sorry for people who are on their own, in particular at the moment, who are having to work from home and you know, they're they're on their own in a house, they're working in their house and their main social outlet is completely taken away from them, which is mm-hmm. going to work or socializing for drinks after work or, yeah. you know, meeting up with work people at the weekend and, you know, and that's all taken away from them. And I I think that's so difficult for people and it's so important for them to keep their, you know, mental health strong because, you know, it's, I'm so lucky that I, I have my job still and nothing has really changed in that you know um other than the fact that you can't really socialize with anyone but like I'm so lucky that I can come home and my family life like we're so lucky that we all get on really well myself and my husband and the two kids because like um I'm sure there's families there who just don't want to be around each other this much Mm. you know and like we've had nearly a year of being together just the four of us and we're, we're still looking forward to going on a family holiday <laughs> just yeah. four of us when we can you know it
2: is, it's a lovely thing isn't it and it's great to to get to spend time with with people that you're you enjoy spending time with yeah. and I totally get I mean I I'm working from home on my own I'm very fortunate that I'm uh, where I live right now is very close to where my kids live so they could pop in and out whenever they want um, but it's uh it is it is massively challenging and i would be the type i've never been the biggest fan of offices so i would always kind of head for a coffee shop with my laptop and
0: set up for a couple
2: of hours but what what what's interesting about that and it kind of relates to like i usually ask a very psychology type question um towards the end of an interview which is kind of around you know what advice you would have for the younger younger model of you you know when 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 you were sending all those emails and cards and you got in there and you wanted to be famous um, and, <laughs> oh I was so nice <laughs> yeah but 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 what I do think is interesting and um, and I don't want to go into um, too much detail but I do think it's interesting you mentioned briefly there about a, a, a work colleague or a, a well a boss or whatever in in work that was really challenging for you and I wonder knowing what you know now, would you have advice for the younger you about those days? Because I think an awful lot of people have challenging relationships in work. And you know, we live, you know, we, we have to live in the real world. And not everybody's gonna sit around a campfire fucking singing come by yeah. So, you know, we 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 do have people who are challenging in work. We are all individuals, we are all different, we have different philosophies in life. Some people are brilliant leaders, some people are really, really crap leaders. Um, and we have to, in order for us to be successful, we've got to navigate that. You know, and we can't, we can't change the world. And it, I feel it's kind of a message we're selling our kids that's, that's wrong, is that we, with all this talk about wellness in schools, it's almost like we're trying to create this idea of the world being fair. Yeah. But when you're talking about all the kind of things there, I mean, you talk about some really, really cool stuff. But if you were given advice to yourself when you were going through that really difficult time, is there something you would say to yourself now that would help you to get through that difficult time? Or is there something that we could advise people listening in that, you know, you might have a difficult relationship in work, but there is something that you can do to, to come out the other side?
1: I think um, I'd probably say to myself, talk to someone else about it, not not a, a boss or or a HR person or anything like that, but just, you know, a colleague that you might not even be that close to because you might find that they're going through it too. Um, but also I would say to myself, just don't take any shit, you know, stop thinking that you're worthless, you know, because you're not. Um, Because that's how I felt, you know, I felt like I shouldn't be there. And I felt like, you know, I didn't have a right to be there even though I know now I absolutely did and I worked hard to to be where I was so um I'd probably any advice I'd give to anyone listening now would be absolutely don't take any shit from someone else they've no right to make you feel like that mm-hmm. I wish I I wish I had w- been stronger back then to deal with it better it, it's it's probably made me stronger in the long run and uh, now so yeah Uh, you know you learn you learn from from Mm -hmm. the stuff you do and I think as well as you said life isn't perfect I I wouldn't like life to be perfect because you can't learn from anything then you have to make mistakes to to get better and Mm -hmm. you know yeah and and that's the kind of message we give to our kids as well you know it's it's okay if you're not getting A's in school like yeah you know that, that's not what we want from you you know we want we want you to feel comfortable that you can do the work you know and try as much as you can and um, to do better if you don't do that well in a test or whatever try better the next time but we're not expecting you to be straight A students because mm. you know it's it's too high an expectation for people Mm. and especially children so um yeah my big thing though in a in a work situation like that is definitely don't take any shit and don't let someone make you feel like that because they have no right to make you feel worthless and bad about yourself
2: absolutely yeah and I mean it's something I would have spoke about with with everyone I've worked with is that kind of idea that you know making mistakes are the things that make you better at what you do so instead of yeah. beating yourself up over it or allowing somebody else to beat you up over it, these are the things that, I mean, it, it, if you don't make mistakes, it means you're not trying anything new. You're not doing anything different. You're just in your comfort zone. Yeah. And if you want to be better at anything you do, you have to be willing to make mistakes, you know, and it's about understanding, well, what is the feedback from those mistakes? What are the things that you
1: can learn from them? Cause none of, none of us want to fail and owning the mistake I think that's one of the biggest things like um so many people in work would be you know they they make mistakes and then they go oh I don't know what happened or someone else did that or you know and you're just like no 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 no, you have to own own your mistake or own your mess up that you've done (laughs) like especially with um the other job I do which is the transmission desk which is um you know uh you're responsible for the whole output of of 41 or 42 whichever channel you're assigned to that day and so there's a nine-hour shift and um you're basically taking all the programs on an air. so if there's lives on and there's a lot of pressure and all that kind of stuff but that's something where like you have to own your mistakes in that job because you are solely responsible for that output and the public at home don't know you know whose mistake it was or whatever mm-hmm. so you know there's a log every day that we do and um if someone doesn't own up to their mistake it, it just looks so bad i just that's a pet peeve really is people not owning their mistakes <laughs> like...
2: <laughs> i wish you success in whatever you decide to do it's been an absolute Thank pleasure you, chatting much. to you
1: yeah really it's lovely been lovely conversation. thanks so much
2: So, Augustus, are you there for our usual chat? I am, I'm sitting right beside you now. Now <laughs> yeah, we've got to pretend for the world, of po- for the podcast world. Yeah, I, 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 I got a you know, full disclosure, I love Helen.
0: I think she's a lovely, lovely person um, and fascinating character. I, I'll be honest, I've seen her on telly every week for forever. I knew nothing about her. The, yeah. the, this, this is what I think I really enjoyed, is that I got to know Helen Kern because I. I don't think she courts or as she was saying she doesn't court attention or no and i respect
2: that because you know it's something that i've always struggled with in ireland i found myself ending the conversation with a smile on my face and one of the things actually there's a few things that i particularly liked um but i particularly liked the way she talked about how the pandemic has been a benefit to her because of what it's allowed her to do with her family mm, and yeah. the time she gets to spend with her kids and with her husband. Which is, it, it, it's a really simple message, but it's a really a really nice one.
0: Yeah, yeah. The the, the couple of takeaways, or a few key points I just wanted to ask you on was, I loved the way she described how she really went after the career in TV. Like she was, she's had it, I think 24 years. So late 90s she would've mm. decided, or you know, mid 90s she would've decided, I want to be on TV, which would've been a really outlier career to pick. Mm. And she says herself that a lot of people tried to talk her out of it. So I think the fact that she had an idea about an unconventional career and went after it. Yeah, and and, and and particularly at the time for a woman. Yeah. You know, I mean,
2: we're... uh, I kind of feel like sometimes Ireland's a little bit late to the party and the whole equality opportunity stuff. But uh, she is at the forefront with a a lot of a lot of the presenters in RTU have kind of changed the way we think about things and um, we kind of take it for granted now that we see women presenting sports programs and we see women kind of continuity presenters or, or you know on, on, on the weather or whatever the case may be but that wasn't always the case and, and she had to really bang a drum and the other thing that RTU has always been criticized for is the fact that you know there's there's a there's a touch of nepotism about the fact that you know everybody's the child of somebody else, like, yeah. it. and to be on the outside and force your way in, really, it, it's a real example that you know. I mean, I had it with my career. I mean, I, I was working in the police in Ireland, hated every minute of it, I, I loved the people I worked with. I met, I met some great mates there, but hated the job. But forced myself to go down the road of chasing a career in sports psychology when nobody was really doing it, and and I had those conversations, my poor mother like, must have said decades of the rosary like at the thought of me chucking away a pensionable job to go yeah. and do something random. But it's having the courage that, if that's really what you believe in, just go for it, yeah. you know, and you know, like there's a myth that people say like, that, you know, if you work hard enough, you'll be successful. That's not true. Because you need so many things to fall into place and you need a lot of luck. But if you don't work hard, if you don't try for
0: something, you're never going to get it because nobody's going to hand it yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah, you've no kind of basis for for the success. One of the things Helen said that really resonated with me was how she approaches uh, training new people in, in in, in RTE, in the National Broadcaster. And she says she approaches it like she's showing her, I think she said her daughter. Uh, So she talks to the person like she's talking to her child. So she's never condescending and she's always informing. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was just a really, really succinct and perfect way of just describing communication, or good, uh, good, effective communication. Absolutely, yeah. And if you think about,
2: like, if you are explaining something to your kid, like I have two kids who are teenagers, and if they ask me a question and I'm explaining something to them, I'll explain it in in a way that's accessible for them. But I I don't dumb it down. I don't talk to them like they're idiots. I talk to them like they're people who haven't heard this before. So you have to explain something so that. You've to, you know, it, it's like the keys of any great communications, and look, you're the marketing guy here, but the key of any great kind of communication is that it lands at a level that people can access. And I've always felt that really, the true experts, and I've said this before in some of the things we've done, true experts in any environment are people who are comfortable simplifying their message so it's easily accessible. Mm. And I think that's what she's talking about,
0: and I think that's really cool. Mm. I can't remember who said it, but could have been answered that if you can't explain something simply you don't really understand it yeah yeah that's that's it essentially the the last thing i thought was really good that uh, she explained was when you said what are the areas she focused on she gave three three examples or three areas uh one was having priorities having something to focus on uh number two was that communication is key that you always have to talk it out if there's a problem and the last one and I think we can all benefit from this one is the separation between your work life, your work life balance, essentially. I thought they were um, nice. Yeah. Little, nice little list. To and, have. Y- and if you think about them, like have priorities, communication
2: is key, and have separation between work and life. I mean, that's that's a recipe for successful personal life as much as it is a successful working life. You know, it's it's understanding well, what's important. How are you keeping the communication lines open? And we can all learn from that in in, in everything we do. Um, and I, I was particularly impressed or interested in, you know. I never realized that, you know, when somebody is presenting the weather, that they don't have a script that they're reading off a teleprompter, that they, they, they have to memorize it and then work off a of blue screen. But I think, I,
0: I can't imagine how I, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Didn't she says she's handed the, the report in 20, 20 minutes, minutes before filming, yeah. like, so she's to digest it take out the jargon put it in layman's terms as she said like not be condescending but be informing Mm -hmm. uh, informative to the people who don't understand meteorological terms yeah that was i thought that was fascinating yeah and look i i i just think i just think it's
2: fascinating i think um i think helen is a good example of how a good human can have a message that's really important that any organization can learn from and i think if, if if anybody listening to this walked away with thinking about their priorities their communications and the separation they have between work and life they'll be doing okay, okay absolutely
0: okay we'll leave it there now thanks buddy thanks man On behalf of Nyla Carroll and all of us at Pep Talk, thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can find all the show notes at peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. That's peptalkhq.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode.